coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, officially done with his first year of law school, is my co-host, Curtis. And today on the show, we're going to take a survey that was put together by Seth Emerson, the Georgia beat writer for The Athletic. Some of you, if you subscribe to The Athletic, may have already done this yourselves. Curtis and I did it uh, a couple of weeks ago when it first came out. We were going to do it do a show on this back then, but we decided uh, ultimately to wait until the results came out, but we thought it would be a great discussion point for the show, so we're going to do that today. I know a lot of you are very familiar with Seth. I think first from his days at the Macon Telegraph, if I'm correct, and then of course the uh, AJC and Dog Nation for a couple of years. He now works for The Athletic, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm just one guy, but as far as I'm concerned, he is as good as it gets on the Georgia Bee. His work alone for me is plenty enough of a reason to get a subscription to The Athletic. And they always have like 40 to 50% off deals running uh, for an annual subscription. Uh, you really can't beat the prices. So I really encourage you, if you don't already subscribe, go ahead, bite the bullet, guys, and subscribe to The Athletic. You will not regret it. I can assure you of that. And, and they're not a sponsor of this show or anything like that. Like We're not getting a dime from them. This is just 100% a personal endorsement because I, I think Seth is the pinnacle of Georgia beat writers. Like he is as good as it gets. And you're going to get a lot of cool features with that subscription like this one that we are going to discuss today. So what Seth did for this Georgia fan survey is he put together uh, a list of questions for subscribers to answer, just a survey to take. And the questions ran the gamut from uh, last year's offensive struggles to the 2020 expectations to uh, even uniforms. And we thought it would just be really fun and interesting to discuss our answers, how Curtis and I responded to this survey, to these questions. Um, and we're not going to answer and discuss every question on the survey, nor are we going to reveal all of the results, but we will touch on a number of them. And if you're interested, if you like what you hear, if you think the questions are interesting, which I certainly think they are, I, again, strongly encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic and check check out the entire feature. He ran a, a number of different pieces on this where he gave you some great analysis and broke down the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, again, if you enjoy what you hear today as we kind of talk about our answers to some of these questions, I really encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic. I, I know they also do a, a free, I think it's a week-long trial, so you can try it out, see if you like it, and if not, then no big deal. But I, I, I'm pretty sure if you if you uh, try the, the week trial, you're going to want to stick with them for, for the long term. With Seth, again, it's just uh, as good as it gets on the Georgia beat. Before we get to the survey, however, I do want to thank all of you out there that have rated and reviewed the show at really any point, but especially those of you who have uh, given us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts over the course of the past week. You guys have really helped us out there. You are the best. There's no doubt about it. We have the best listeners anywhere out there. We might not have the most listeners, but we certainly have the best in our opinion, and we really appreciate your help and all the support. And if you guys haven't had a chance to rate and review the show yet, when that COVID lockdown boredom inevitably hits, because it seems to everybody... We would be very, very grateful if you would take, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds or so to help us out there. But all right, let's do this. Uh, we're going to skip all the questions that related back to last season because, well, I mean, let's be real. We discussed the 2019 season ad nauseum. I'm sure you guys are probably tired of hearing about it at this point. I know we're, I don't want to say we're tired of talking about it. We always love talking any Georgia football, but we want to look forward to 2020 and beyond as much as we can from this point on. So, 
We're going to start with a simple one and one that I know has been a very popular topic of conversation really since really January, I guess. But the first question here on the Seth Emerson Georgia football survey is a very simple true or false question. Actually, true or false questions, you know this from like law school final exams. I know you are talking about this the other day. True or false questions, like they seem easy on the surface, like ostensibly they should be easier, but they are they can be complicated. They can be complicated. But this true or false question, I don't think it's that complicated. Uh, very simply, Curtis, true or false, Georgia will be as good or better at quarterback with Jamie Newman replacing Jake Fromm. True or false? I'm going true. Okay, why? Um, I think he's just an upgrade in the athletic ability apart. Um, I mean, last year you kind of saw, even no matter how smart Jake is, um, he still can't make up. Like, his skill set doesn't allow him to make up for all the deficiencies that his uh, um, that he suffers from in his athletic ability and his intangibles and things like that. And sometimes you need different skill sets to match what your other players have. And I think that, that uh, that's why I think we're going to be in a better situation going forward next year. Um, you saw it, you know, all the brains knowing where to go with the ball and all those things um, don't always bail you out. Yeah, th- I, you know, I'm with you. I agree with you. I'm, I'm going to go true here. I, I had I did hesitate for a second, but and let me explain why. I'm not saying that Jay Fromm's a better quarterback than Jamie Newman. Physically, I'm with you. It's a no-brainer. Like if you compare the quarterbacks physically – Newman is the answer to all of Fromm's physical deficiencies. You know, he's got the athleticism that Fromm didn't have. He has the deep ball accuracy that Fromm didn't have. He has the arm strength that Fromm didn't have. So it, it opens up more of the field, the middle of the field, which you know, a lot of fans had an issue with, with Jake not really taking advantage of that, or, or, or our offense, I should say, not taking advantage of that. And I do think a big part of that was not as much play calling. It was just uh, uh, what related to Jake's I guess I guess it is a physical deficiency when you don't have the arm strength to consistently fit into tight windows in the middle of the field. So I think he's going to open up more of the field with his physical tools. So physically, it's a no-brainer. I think we are better off with Jamie Newman than Jake Fromm, certainly. My only hesitation stems from the fact that this is going to be Newman's first year in this system. Uh, I, I hope the fact that he has spent three years in a college offense, and I know it hasn't been our offense or Todd Munkin's offense, but at least he's not coming all the way from high school to the college level. He's been in the college game, reading defenses, reading college level defenses for three years now. Uh, so I'm hopeful that that offsets some of the, the issues related to it being his first year. My only counter to that is even though he doesn't, this will be his first year in the system. Jake had three years pretty much in the same system that we've run. And you kind of saw almost a regression. Yeah, and I think that, that was – yeah, you're exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and what I would say to that is I think with – and I, and I kind, of, kind, of, kind of thought about this before, but we'll, we'll go there again. I think with Jake, things around him have to be right. Like he has to have the skill talent around him for him to operate a really high level. Yeah, because his, his, his skill sets don't make up for other people's deficiencies. Yes, exactly. Like I, I said all last year, here's my thing about Jake Fromm last year. I know people wanted to hate him. And every time I talk about Jake Fromm and I, and I say anything positive about him, that's when we get like the, the one-star trolls come out and, and kill us uh, on Apple Podcasts. But that's fine. I'm just trying to be intellectually honest here. But my thing with Jake Fromm was – and everyone talked about there was aggression with him last year. Statistically, absolutely, there was aggression. Of course, we, we you can look at the numbers. There was a statistical regression. But I still think Jake Fromm was very much the same guy for the most part. Now, late in the season, I think you see some of his confidence start to get shaken, which I had not seen from him really 
at, at all during his career. But I think most of the year he was the same guy doing the same things that he and capable of doing the same things he'd always done. He just didn't have the skill talent around him. He didn't have Riley Ridley. He didn't have Javon Wims. He didn't have Miko Harmon. He didn't have Terry Gowan. He didn't have those guys around him to make and then Nick Chubb and Sonny Michels to make things a little bit easier on him. I think Jay can be a really good quarterback when all of those things are right around him. And and the skill sets those guys had fit Jake better than the guys we had this year. We know, we all know that Jake throws the back shoulder as well as anyone. You can say there's a lot of throws he doesn't make very well. The back shoulder throw, he's an expert at that throw. And the the guys that we had in 2017, 2018 out wide, whether it was Wims and Ridley, all those guys, J.J. Holloman, those guys, the name of their game was going out there and, and they get one-on-one matchups because the, the defenses had to, uh, I don't want to say stack the box every time, but they had to uh, work their defensive linemen and their defensive schemes around slowing down our run game first and foremost, which created a lot of one-on-one opportunities where Jay could then throw those back shoulders. And the, our guys out wide were big enough and fizzled enough for, to, to make that possible and to win those routes. Well, the guys we had this year, just they weren't equipped to do that. So that's that was my thing with Jake this year. I, I don't know how much of a regression he made from like – from what he was capable of doing, I guess. But I think it was the things around him that weren't as good. So, and you said exactly right, Kurt. Like he was not capable physically of making it happen as much by himself. No one really can make it happen all by themselves, but some quarterbacks based on the skill sets that they bring to the table with athleticism, arm talent, all those kind of things, they are more capable of making things happen on their own than other quarterbacks. And I think Jamie Newman is one of those guys who's going to be more capable of making – if the town around him isn't as great as it was in 17 or 18 for us, I still think he's going to be capable of making more plays because of his physical tools than Jake was able to make. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the difference. You know, just the running threat opens things up for you that you didn't always have. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it, it opens you, up. you talk about ad nauseum about, you know, his running ability and things like that, but I don't think people realize, like, how important that can be the difference that can be to make up for other people's deficiencies. It's so critical. I mean, and I know people won't talk about that. The athleticism of quarterback, like in terms of like when, when the offensive line has a, has a, a breakdown or the, uh, the pass rush gets there and you can make things happen. If nobody's open, you can just take off and make things happen. Yeah. That's an element of why having an athletic quarterback helps. That certainly is an element, but it's for me on a down to down basis. What makes it even more important is when you can structure your offense, particularly your run game around having the quarterback be a threat with his legs, it makes you so much more difficult to deal with. You can create additional gaps. There's so much more defense to have to worry about. You can stress the defense in different ways. And what it does is it opens up your traditional run game even more. Do you not think that DeAndre Swift, I know people want to say that DeAndre Swift didn't have as good, as good of a year last year. I actually think DeAndre Swift was better last year than he was in 2018. And the numbers didn't bear that out. But I think he was working with different boxes and different schemes defensively than what he was in 2018 because we couldn't throw the ball as effectively as we could. If if we would have had a mobile quarterback last year, that would have opened up things a lot more for DeAndre. So if our, we could have diversified our run game significantly, which we did not. I mean, we were about 75, 80% zone run last year. We ran a lot of duo as well, which is basically zone uh, more or less. But we weren't diversified. I think you're going to be able to do that this year, especially with a guy who has a track record of doing different things and matching his offense to the skill set of the players around him in Todd Munkin. So, yeah, I do think that we will be better with Jamie Newman uh, at quarterback. Again, my only hesitation, the only reason I hesitated for a second was the fact that this is first year and obviously with the whole COVID situation and not being here on campus for the spring and all that kind of stuff, like that does concern me. But I, I, I think the physical upgrade 
is enough to offset those concerns. All right, moving on to this next one. It's an interesting question. I actually like questions like this. So uh, I'm glad we get to talk about this one. So this is a ranking, Kurt. I'm going to give you four four names slash groups, and I want you to rank them in order of importance, the changes that we made this offseason to the offense. So of these four changes, which one was most important all the way down to least important? We'll say one being most important, four being least important. So we've got Todd Munkin, Matt Luke, Jamie Newman, incoming wide receiver class. So let's start at number one. Which of those do you think is the most important change to our offense in 2020? Um, Todd Munkin. I think that even last year, even though we didn't have a great wide receiver core and different things like that, I still think there was more things that we could have done to scheme people open, putting them in different positions to be successful. Um, but we just weren't very creative, and I think that Todd Munkin can correct a lot of those errors. So I think that his hire is probably one of the biggest uh, moves of the offseason for us. I agree. I also have Todd Munkin at number one on my list. And as I've gone back, I've spent a lot of time. Like, what else do we have to do, right? During this whole lockdown situation, just going back and watching every one of our games multiple times, just pouring over them. And uh, which I, I mean, I, I go, I would watch them a time or two uh, during the season, but you don't have time to to spend too much time on the last week's game before you move on to the next week's game. So now I've had a chance to go back and really kind of just pour over them. And man, like, I really question and i know this sounds terrible like i don't think that james coley was a terrible in-game play caller i know a lot of people gave him crap for that i thought he was fine in game i thought he did a good job of setting plays up for the most part what i question with him is like i'm not sure he had an idea of what he was doing in terms of building an offense like our blocking schemes were nonsensical at times our uh our, our route combinations i honestly don't know what we were doing sometimes we had two or three guys in the same spot and, and you can say maybe it's a breakdown with the receivers i per, sir, could be or maybe it was just that we're just we're scheming up and designing plays that make no sense whatsoever so i i do think that offensively the structure of the offense was the biggest issue last year i think there were a lot of issues i think that was the biggest one so i think bringing todd munkin in uh, with his track record we'll see but uh, with his track record i'm at least very hopeful that we'll be able to rectify some of the structural issues offensively and be able to take another step in the right direction. All right, what's the second most important? So we got Matt Luke, Jamie Newman, and the incoming wide receiver class left. I'm going to go Jamie Newman. You know, I kind of we already kind of touched on it. Well, I think our offense will be better with him next year. Um, so I think that his him coming in just is a big help for us. I, I agree for the same things you said. I don't want to spend too much time on that because you're right. We did just talk about that. But for all the reasons we said in the last question that you just mentioned, I'm going with Jamie Newman uh, as the second most important development for our offense this year. So it leaves us with Matt Luke in the incoming wide receiver class. Which one is the third most important change? Uh, I'm going Matt Luke because we just lost so many offensive linemen that we're going to have a lot of new guys. Um, even though we've been recruiting well at that position, we're going to need some uh, coaching up and things like that. So that's why I think that – uh, it was a big hire for him because I think – I mean, we kind of saw in the bowl game, the guy is very respected for what he does. Um, you know, the, from his time at Ole Miss, he landed some big-time uh, offensive linemen and things like that. So I think you have to respect what he, what he's done and things like that. And I think recruiting-wise, because this is a big year for recruiting um, at the O-line position, especially when we have a lot of openings that we're going to need to replace. Um, so – that's why I think that I'm going to go with him. And the reason I went with the freshman receivers last is because it's so hard to expect freshmen to come in and make an impact. Um, George Pickens really did it because of the opportunities that were there for him. And, I mean, the guy's just an absolute daggone stud, realistically, when you get down to it. Even then, he had a lot of growing up to do. Um, so I think that's why I went with them uh, last and Matt Luke third. 
Yeah, and, and, and you make a really good point there. I'm not going to argue with you too much on that front. I actually went with the wide receivers uh, as the third most important development. And we're kind of splitting hairs. You get down to number three and number four here. You can go either way. And the reason I went with the wide receivers is just that our deficiencies at wide receiver, yes, we have some physical deficiencies at quarterback. We know that. But I think we had more deficiencies at wide receiver last year without Lawrence Cager. When Lawrence Cager was not in the lineup, we were a shell of, of what we were with him in the lineup. And that was with George Pickens. And we know Pickens – Pickens had to work his way into the lineup and becoming the guy that he was late in the season. He wasn't that guy all year long. Now, if he was that guy from day one, then it would have been a different story. But he was. He wasn't the guy we saw in the Sugar Bowl. Was not the guy we saw uh, against South Carolina, for instance. He just wasn't there yet. But he eventually got there, just not at that point. But we, uh, and honestly, looking at our wide receivers going into 2020, the guys that we have returning. I mean, we've got Pickens coming back. I'm really, obviously, very excited about George Pickens, but. Are you that much? Are you that excited about the other guys coming back, Kurt? Like, really? I think that this offense will fit someone like Demetrius Robertson a lot better. Um, I hope. Than what we yes, have I hope. I hope. And I think that's someone that you'll see take a step forward just yes. because of a change in scheme. Uh, you're right about that, and I, and we talked about that a lot last year. How we had some talent receiver, we just didn't utilize their talent. Like we were, like, I mean, like even Kiaris Jackson, people like that. They're very fast receivers. Um, but what we were asking them to do is not what yep. they were made to do. Yep, absolutely. Kiaris Jackson and Tyler Simmons trying to go win a 50-50 ball on the outside, that's just not going to happen. I mean, not consistently enough. It's just not. They're not Riley Ridley. They're not Javon Wims. They're not J.J. Hallman. They're, but we were asking them to do the things that fit those guys, which we talked about a lot. You guys know that. Uh, I, I think we have a lot of we have a lot of guys I think fit in the slot better than anything. I think we have right now we have one guy I trust. Yeah, because even if like, even with Blaylock coming back healthy and stuff like that, like he's a slot, he's a slot receiver. Yeah, I mean he can he can play outside if you really if, if we have to have him out there, but he is a he, he, you will maximize his ability in the slot. It's kind of like Terry Godwin. Terry Godwin we played him out wide at times, but Terry Godwin was a true slot receiver, and when when he played there, that's where he was the most effective in my opinion back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I think we you know Kiaris, I think is better in the slot. D Rob think he's better in the slot. Uh, Blaylock you mentioned I think he's better in the slot. I, I think that I, I hate to say this, I know I'm going to get killed for this, but Matt Landers is a guy that I think has, he has the, the tools to do it outside. I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to. I, I still want to believe, and I think he, he can do it. He just has got to just, got to click somehow. But really the only guy I trust out wide for us right now, like on the outside, is, is George Pickens. So I am very hopeful that at least one of these guys coming in can step up and be a threat outside opposite George, whether it's Justin Robinson, whether it's Rosemey, Whoever it might end up being, Burton could p- potentially be that guy. Uh, Arian Smith had a surgery, had surgery, but he should be back. Or at least the word is he'll be fine one, when and if we start uh, fall camp. But uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that at least one of those guys, those highly rated receivers, come in can step in and be a guy that can pose a threat because we're going to need somebody. I, I just, I mean, I'm hopeful that Matt Landers and everything just clicks for him this year. But I, I'm not, are we counting on that? So no, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I can't count on that right now. I mean, I, I, I think he can, I just, again, I just can't count it. So I'm going to go with a wide receiver class and Matt Luke. I, I think Matt Luke, everything you said about Matt Luke was exactly right. You're hundred percent right there. I think it was a home run hire. We said that at the time when he was hired, it was as good of a hire as Kirby could have made. In fact, we were, we threw out Matt Luke's name before the Kirby even made that hire. Like we were on, we said, Matt Luke is the guy, go get him. And thank God he did. I think it's going to work out really well. He's able to, uh, kind of firm up uh, what was a really good offensive line class and kind of keep that together last year. He's off to a really hot start in the 2020 class. 
So I think all Matt Luke's going to be really good for us, and I don't think we're going to really miss much of a beat as good as Sam Pittman was. I know that's kind of blasphemous to some people, but I think Matt Luke is going to be just fine as our offensive line coach. Um, but I just I think the wide receiver issues that we had last year are just more important to kind of remedy, and I'm hopeful that one or two of those guys can come in this year and uh, help us out in, in some way. Um, all right, next up, kind of another ranking here. This one's a little bit different. Besides the offense, all right, so we just talk about the offense. So let's throw that to the side. What else most concerns you about Georgia in 2020? So rank the following in order of concern. So, again, one being your most concerned, four being your least concerned. Uh, the first one here is replacing Rodrigo Blankenship, special teams in general, the defense not living up to expectations, and then head coaching game day decisions. All right, so Kurt, of those, what do you think is your? What are you most concerned about heading into next year? Um, I'm going to go with replacing Rodrigo. I think because you can win and lose a lot of games. Um, I agree. In there, yeah. and I, and you and, and I know we've talked about Rodrigo missed some kicks in the past year or two. But he also made a ton of kicks. He he helped us win a lot of football games and some big football games. And he was a guy that even if he was missed one here, like the South Carolina game or whatever, every time when he went out there and landed to kick it, I felt good about it. It didn't always go in. Uh, more often than not, it did because he won the Lou Groza Award. Uh, he's the most accurate kicker in Georgia history, I believe, in terms of his entire career. Uh, so he was a heck of a player for us, and I felt really, really good every time he walked out there. And this year, I mean, there's a really, really good chance that we're going to have a true fresh lining up out there. Jared Zirkle out of Texas is a really good chance he's going to be the guy – if not, I mean, maybe you have Jake Camarda pulling double duties or maybe Jake Camarda flips from punter to kicker and finds something else to punt. Like, I don't know what the situation is going to be. There's a lot of different possibilities and, and ways it could go. But I, I just don't know. Whoever it ends up being winning that job, I just have a hard time thinking they're going to be as strong as Rodrigo was last year for us. I have a hard time believing. So, for me, yeah, that definitely is the uh, outside of the offense, the biggest concern, at least on this list. All right, so we have uh, special teams in general. Defense not living up to expectations and head coaching game day decisions left. What's the second biggest concern for you? I'm going to go with special teams in general. Um, you I know, I mean, the, the last two don't really scare me as much as the others, um, you know, with special teams in general, because this year we're not going to have a true special teams coach. Um, you and think I think going to be a true special teams coach. I just don't, I just don't know about his, ex- I mean, he has a lot of experience doing it, but the other two is the I'm least worried about. Yeah. Um, because Cox and, and here, so he has experience doing, it. I guess, working with special teams, but he's never actually been the special teams coach. Exactly. I think it's just his um, familiar, and also with our players in general, like uh, he's not getting a lot of time. I mean, he can watch film and see what we have, but he also ha- hasn't had a lot of on field time with our guys either to get you know comfortable and uh, know what everyone's skill set and things are. Which I mean, I know you kick it through the end zone along kickoffs and things like that, but like I said, um, if I'm being honest, I the other two don't fear me, scare me all that much that's why i kind of moved this one up honestly outside of Rodriguez, like on with this list these four factors the only one that really is a concern at all to me is replacing rodrigo i'm not concerned about the other three at all i'm really yeah not. Like, and, and that's, a- that's where i'm at and the only reason i do this is because i mean we see camarda can boom it but he can also just be you're he wondering what's going through his head yeah um and things like that. you don't have someone that's got the experience of talking down a kicker now cochran has experience with you know just how to handle ch- players in general which may help but at the same time he just doesn't have the you know maybe the experience talking through head cases yeah i i think if you had to go i mean if you have to rank them i think special teams i agree with you would be the second if there had to be one would be the second biggest concern i just i'm not all that concerned about it. i think in terms of our coverage units 
uh, our return units. We have we've amassed so much talent, guys that just can't really break the depth chart right now defensively or offensively for whatever reason, but they're still really talented, really athletic players that other teams would kill for. Those guys help you become a really good special teams unit. And I think we, and we've been really good on special teams for years now. Like we really have outside the kickers and everyone wants to focus on kickers and return guys, like the, the actual return men themselves, but our coverage units have been really good. They have done a really, really good job. Now it helps when a Rico kicks it out of the end zone, you don't have to cover a kick and it helps when you have good hang time uh, on a punt, but I think we've been really good in general special teams, and a big part of that is the way that we've recruited all these young guys coming as freshmen. Uh, they want to come in, and they want to they want to make they want to make the travel roster. That's a huge deal. And Kirby's done an incredible job of kind of building competition uh, within the culture of our program. And special teams is a big part of that. So, and, and, and don't get me, and guys, you got to understand. Like, I know it might, not, it might not seem like a big deal to you, but making the travel roster, especially if you're a young player, is a big deal. That, that's a big deal for players. So I think we've been really good on special teams. I'm not that concerned about it. Yes, if you factor in Rodrigo not being back and, and what that situation is going to be, that has to be a concern to a, to a, some level. But I'm not overly concerned with special teams in general outside of the Rodrigo factor. Uh, all right, so that leaves us with two things here, Kakar. we got defense not living up to expectations or head coaching game day decisions. What's number three for you? I'm going to go, go game day coaching decisions. I mean, I thought last year Kirby really did a better job. Yeah, we lost two games, but South Carolina, I think, was actually more of an offensive coaching job. And even if we're struggling offensively, it's hard for him to make the corrections because that's just not what he's there to do. It's different if you have an offensive-minded coach, but we don't. Mm. Um, But I think, I mean, if I had to choose, I really have a lot of confidence in our defense because I think we're really deep and things like that. So that's the only reason I'm going with that one first because I still think even though Kirby's getting more and more experience, I mean, there's even times where Nick Saban makes questionable decisions. So you're always – coaches are always learning. Yes. Look, um, you're, I, I agree with you. You're right. Head coaching uh, of those two. I'm not, I'm not concerned about either of them really, but if I had to pick one, I guess I'd say head coaching game decisions is number three because, and I, I'm probably going to regret saying this. I probably was going to knock on wood right now, but I do not have any concerns whatsoever with our defense, not living up to expectations. Like that's not even a thought for me. Like I, I really, I mean, considered- they may not be the number one defense in the nation, but they're definitely going to be our backbone of our team. I, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you can never say they're like, they're going to be number one. I'm not going to make that declarative statement, but they're going to be up there. Like they're going to well, be. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, yeah. if you, if you think they're disappointed, uh, let down because they're not number one, I think that's unrealistic, but yeah, I definitely think that's like your said, standard. They're gonna, yeah. Yeah. They're going to be a pretty dang on good team. Yeah. I, I just, I have no worry. I, I'm really just not worried about our defense at all. And I'm not worried about Kirby's game. Like I know this is a popular talking point, uh, uh, and I don't want to say I don't want to discount people who, who feel this way and say it's only on the fringe. It's, just, it's not a lot of people feel this way. I just don't happen to be one of those people that feel like I mean, I also feel like he, he did make some questionable decisions and things like that when he first started. But I feel like as a coach, he really has grown up a lot. And he's yeah. start, he's he's actually kind of like done a better job of deferring to his assistant coaches in times, too. Yeah, like I, I'm not going to say Kirby's never made a mistake in an in-game situation. Of course he has. I mean, he was, you know, early in his uh, his tenure here, and he's still early in his tenure, but his first couple of years, uh, clock management issues, and we, we saw that a time or two last year. Like some of those things, you know, you scratch your head for a moment, but like you, you said it really well, Kurt. What standard are we holding Kirby Smart to? Every coach has issues like that. I mean, even the great Nick Saban. Some of the the I, I know Kirby gets a lot of crap for the fake punt and the SEC. Title I mean, think about that last year where Saban wants to score at the end of the half and it gets picked in Clemson or LSU goes up by uh-huh. twenty one going into uh-huh. half. That was a big switch for think them. That, that in, in the Auburn game last year, the Auburn game last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, come on. Like, like, and we think Nick Saban's the greatest coach ever. He, he is. Nick Saban's incredible. But he makes mistakes. Like, coaches make mistakes in-game. They're not perfect. Uh, and Kirby certainly has made some mistakes. I, I know a lot of people, again, the, the big issue, I don't want to say the only issue, but a lot of people still hold the the, the fake punt in 2018, the SEC title game against him. I, I don't I don't hold that against him. I mean, we've seen Nick Saban do it. Think about the onside kick with Nick Saban in the, in the national title game, right? Yeah. You know what? But it he's, just happened he's, to work. It just Yeah, and he's praised as a hero. Yes, it just happened to work. And if Kirby's would have worked, then he would have been a hero, right? He's a genius. He's got the guts. He's got the balls. He's got all that. But it, it didn't work out, right? The, the players didn't execute. The bottom line is the players did not execute there. And I'm not trying to kill Justin Fields because, I mean, he, that's the only time he ever run that play in his life uh, outside of a practice situation. But there was a play to be made there. And he didn't – he kind of he, he kind of panicked in that situation. And, again, I'm not trying to kill Fields. I'm just saying, like – it comes down to execution a lot of times. And I, I know the coach is the one who's going to get killed for because he called the play and that kind of thing. But, you know, think about all the coaches that we praise for taking risk, right? And how many times do we want to kill Kirby Smart when it's when it's fourth and one and we don't go for it, right? We don't go yeah. for it. Because we have a big offensive line we should go for, right? Well, you know what? You're going to kill me either way. If he doesn't get it, then if he goes for it and doesn't get it, then he's an idiot. If he doesn't go for it and they come down the field and score, well, he doesn't have any guts, right? Like, he, he's a coward. He's a wuss, that kind of thing. So, like, and, and that's the life of a coach. That's why you get paid millions and millions of dollars. I get it. I just don't have as big of an issue with Kirby's in-game coaching decisions as a lot of people. He has made mistakes, certainly. I just don't think it's as big of an issue because, like, hey, by the way, guys, we played for three straight SEC titles, and we've won one of them. We played in a national championship game. Um, so he's got to be doing something right. And I know people – and the argument is, well, it's because we have better players. Um, that's okay, yeah. everyone. Yeah, I mean, but like you can have a lot, of, like, you can have a lot of really good players, but at some point, your coach has to make right decisions to put those guys in a position to win, right? And I think he's done a pretty good job of that. A pretty good job. Um, all right, so let's stick with Kirby Smart for a minute here. The next question, I actually love these next couple of questions because I think these are big picture questions that you and I don't really get a chance to talk that much about, Kirk, because we're usually so honed in on like what's happening right now, especially during the season. So uh, let's have some fun with this one. Uh, so next one, Kirby Smart's tenure should be judged by whether he wins a national championship, yes or no? Unfortunately, I think you have to because that's the way college football is now. If you're not winning, that's what you're judged against. It's no longer, you know, SEC East championships and things like that. You're judged by a completely different standard. It may not be fair. It may be fair, but that's the reality of it. I, I cannot agree with you more. Uh, I, I know it sounds crazy, right? It sounds crazy. Here we are. We, everyone, we, know, we all know 1980. We all know that. I mean, it, it took Saban 20 years to win a championship, but yeah. that's how it is now. Yeah. In, in college it may football, be fair, maybe not, but been. it's just the, the reality of it at this point yeah. in time. Yeah, I, and I just I firmly believe that college football is more competitive at the top than it ever has been. Like there's, there's, and I know there's only a handful of teams that can win it any given year, but like especially in the SEC, like Alabama, like – in Mark Rick's early years, you know, the early 2000s, Alabama wasn't Alabama, right? Um, LSU was that team. Uh, we didn't – Auburn wasn't – like, we didn't have – I mean, Florida was was good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there was many teams in the SEC. I don't think it was as competitive week in and week out in the SEC as it is now. Uh, but I absolutely agree with you. I think we have to judge Kirby Smart's tenure based on whether he's going to be able to win that elusive national championship. And I know that's that's an, almost an impossible standard to hold somebody to, but here's why I, I agree with you. Here's why I say this is the case. Look. Mark Rick averaged, I, I crunched numbers, averaged 9.6 wins a year. So basically 10 wins a year, right? He won 10 plus games in 10 of 15 years on the job, had five SEC title game appearances and two SEC titles. Coaches with those numbers, Kurt, do they usually get fired? No. 
Most play almost anywhere in America, you put up those numbers, you are a hero. You are you have that job for for life. Look at Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. You think Iowa their fan base would want those numbers? I mean, come on. I mean, absolutely they would. But yet we moved on from Mark Rick. We made the tough decision, and I think the correct decision. As much as I love Mark Rick, as much as I appreciate what he did to elevate our program, I'm not one of those people that kills Mark Rick. I love Mark Rick. I think he absolutely resurrected our program in the early 2000s and got us to a point that we hadn't been in a long time. Where we were actually legitimately competing for national titles. Yeah, it got stale and fell off a little bit towards the end, and we made the right decision, the very tough decision, but the right decision. But my thing is you do not make that move. You do not move on from a guy with that resume just to win 10 or 11 games every year. You don't do that because you're already pretty much doing that. You make that move because you want to elevate the program to the next level. And the only next level for us to move up to was to win national titles. So that's that's why I judge Kirby Smart based on that. If you're going to move on from Mark Rick, and I think it was the right decision at that point. I think Kirby's proven that right now. He's already proven that. But at some point, he's got to win national title because – if you don't, then why why did we move on from Mark Rick? Because we basically had I mean, we were we were in the ten to eleven win range almost every year, ten out of fifteen years, ten plus wins, right? So that's why I think if you factor in just the context around our situation, our job here, that's what Kirby Smart was brought in to do. He we moved on from Mark Rick, we brought in Kirby Smart to win national championships. We've gotten really close. We just haven't done it yet, and I think we're going to do it. We just have to, we have to get there. But I, I think that's what you have to judge him on when, when it's all said, however many years down the road, when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and say, did Kirby Smart ever win that national title? Because, I mean, that's that's where we are as a program right now. I, I, I firmly believe that. So that brings us to the next question. This was, was a tough one. Uh, so speaking of national titles, when is the soonest you think Georgia will win a national championship? And the options are this, Curtis. Next season? Within the next three seasons, within this decade, or not until well into the future? Which one are you going with? I'm going to go within the next three years. I think Kirby is really separating himself recruiting-wise, which is going to be the difference. I, I do think he will win one within the next three years. I, I do. I'm very, I, I'm very confident in that. However, I'm like, okay, here, maybe this is just how I read the question. The question, as Seth Everson wrote it, and his survey was, when is the soonest you think Georgia will win a national championship? I mean, you could argue next year because our defense will be just that dominant. Yeah, that's it really how I would read it. Yeah. It would really depend on the offense. Exactly. And that's how I read it. Like, when is the soonest we could possibly win it? Absolutely, we could win it in 2020. I'm not I'm not ready to say we're going to win it in 2020. But to sit here and say there's – no, no. Like, we just – we can't win it in 2020. Like, I'm not uh, – uh-uh. Like, absolutely, we could win it in 2020. In fact, I feel – I feel better about our chances. Like if we didn't have the whole, I mean, if it was a regular normal season, like without coronavirus, I feel better about our chances in 2020 than I do in 2021. I know we have another recruiting class stacked in there on, in 2021, but we're going to be starting, unless we have another grad transfer coming in, we're going to be starting either a, a redshirt freshman or a true freshman quarterback. And I know some of those guys have worked out recently in other programs, like, you know, Clemson, you can look at them and say that, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence worked out really well for them, but that's a that's a crapshoot, man. You got a quarterback that young. That, that that's tough. It doesn't matter how good your defense is. And you got a guy that's that young and inexperienced. That could I don't know. I just feel like I feel like we have a better chance this year than 2021. Honestly, I mean, think about 2020. I think we have. You can you can say we we're we're certainly going to be in contention to have the best defense in the country. I think our defense will actually be better in 2020 than it was last year. We'll see how that plays out. I think there's a really good chance that's going to be the case. And then think about this: last year, 
We got within one game of the college football playoffs. It, even if we would have lost LSU, if we would have beaten South Carolina and gone through the regular season undefeated, don't you think, Kurt, we were in the playoffs? 100%, because yeah. no one was beating LSU at this year. Absolutely, just- absolutely. If that was our one loss to the best team and people, you know, twenty in the last 20 or so years, some people say the best college football team ever, I think we're in the playoffs. I don't think we're left them revive. I think we're in over Oklahoma. So we were within one game. And that was a, what was a double overtime loss to South Carolina. We were then yep. one double overtime loss to South Carolina, even with the worst Georgia offense in probably my lifetime since I've been watching Georgia football. Probably the worst Georgia offense in my, that I can at least remember off the top of my head. And maybe it's because it's a recency thing. I don't know, but it's the first I've seen in a long time. We were still one double overtime loss away from getting into the college football playoffs. Think about that. So to say that we can't get there next year, well, I think it's going to be a better, potentially a better defense, at least a defense, in my opinion, that's not going to take a step back. And I think our offense will be better. I don't know how much better yet. Uh, yeah, the whole not spring, no spring practice thing concerns me. But as bad as we were last year, I think our offense is going to, at least to some degree, be better than what we were last year. And if we're if our offense is just competent, like seriously, just competent this year, and our defense performs near the same level as it did last year, why on earth could we not compete for national title this year? I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I know maybe this isn't, isn't relevant, but like if you take last year's 2019 defense and then plug in the 2018 Georgia offense, I think we could have legit won the national title in just about any year. I mean, but last year's a little bit different. LSU was really, really, really good. They were as good of a team as we've seen in a long time in college football. But most years, the 2018 Georgia offense plus the 2019 Georgia defense merged together. That's a national championship team. But so, so I guess all I'm saying is like, if we can just get our offense up enough with the defense that we have coming back, I think we can absolutely legit compete. Um, yeah, and I, I feel confident. If it's not next year, I think within the next three seasons, with the way that we're recruiting, we're not slowing down there. Uh, within this decade, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I think we're going to win one within this decade. I think before the decade's out. Uh, and I certainly would not say not in well into the future. I, I think we're we're very, very close for all the reasons I kind of just laid out there. Um, all right, one more question here about the national championship pitcher. So look down the road, Kurt, five years from now. If Georgia has not won national championship, then A, it's a failure and heads will roll. B, it's fine as long as Georgia's in playoff in the playoff or in playoff contention. Or C, it's fine even if Georgia isn't contending for the playoff as long as we're better than and consistently beating Florida, Tech, and the other rivals. Uh, you'll probably see heads will roll just because the money we're spending and things like that, you're not going to do it. Yeah, this is a tough one for me. Okay, so five years from now. So what, Kirby's first year was 16, so he's been on the job 16, 17, 18, four years, right? So this is going to be year five. So basically 10 years in the Kirby Smart tenure. If we have not won national championship by year 10 of the Kirby Smart tenure, it's a failure in heads of the world. Think about think – about, let's look at some of the parallels between Rick and, and Kirby, right? I, I know you were, you're a little bit younger than me, but like the early part of Rick's tenure, people were talking about – our program and him, like they are kind of like Kirby now. Like it's just, it was a matter of when, not if Mark Rick leads us to a national title. Right. And we never got there. We got close. We never got there. And then about 10 years into his tenure, right. So he gets the job in 2001. That's uh, about 2011, 2012. We, we, we won in, we, we got to the SEC title game in 2012, got really close in the national title game. We all know what happened there, but from that point on, so just a little more than 10 years into his, into his tenure, he had, he still had not won one. And, and all the opportunities where we, where we were really close, we, they just slipped by us. That's when people started to ask questions and that and his head didn't roll immediately, but 15 years in 
his head did roll. So 10 years, I don't know. But again, that's that's why Kirby was brought in. He was brought in to take us to the next level, and he knows that. So well, and I, also because uh, the yeah, exactly. He's brought in like he he has a different mentality. That's why I kind of think that yeah, it would, yeah, it would just be a failure on him. I mean, and, and I, like, I know. And where our program was when Mark Rick was brought in versus where our program was when Kirby Smart was brought in, it was in a different place. Yeah, it just was. very, very different place. Yeah, it was a, like the, the end of the. Dynamic I mean, with Mark the, Rick, it was every two or three years. You're like, all right, this is the team. Now every year, you're like, this is the team. Yeah, I mean, Mark Rick got fired off of a ten win season. Okay, I mean, I know we won the tenth game in the bowl game, but still, it was a ten win season, and he got fired. So our program, like when you again, when you move on from a coach like that, I think the expectation's got to be you win national championship. And then ten years later, if you still haven't won one, even if you've gotten really close, I think that's when people start to ask questions. And that national narrative it changes from oh, it's a matter of when, not if Kirby Smart's win win a national championship. To oh man, has has Georgia's window closed? Is Kirby just a really good recruiter and not a good coach? Like you hear our rivals say that, but I think that might become, but that's not a national narrative. Yeah, but that's when their rivals can't even win a. Uh... Uh, conference championship oh uh, yeah and i'm not i'm not saying i buy into it but I, I think if 10 years in we still have not won one as well as we've been recruiting i think you're going to hear that become more of a national narrative and not just a fringe rivals thing that people say like you know the florida fans and the auburn fans the tennessee fans like that that's always what they're going to say but it hasn't gotten to the mainstream yet i think that that argument will become more mainstream if five years from now 10 years into kirby smart's tenure we still haven't won one as well as we've been recruiting you know does that make sense yeah yeah, this and, and, and here's and I don't want to spoil too much of the results. I want you guys to go check out the athletic and subscribe and uh and support Seth Emerson and because he does a great job there. But I did want to throw this one out there. I thought more people would be in line with you and I, Curtis. I really thought so. Um, but only twenty five point seven percent of the respondents are siding with us. So a fourth of the the fans who voted in this survey took this survey are with us. I said it's a failure in heads will roll. Only a fourth of them. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I kind of am. I am too. I know a lot of people are happy with just being in the playoffs. And being in the playoffs is great. you got to be in the playoffs to have a chance to win the national title. We all know that. But I don't know if I'm just – like it's great to be in the playoffs. I want to be in the playoffs. But I don't know if I'm going to be happy the next five years making the playoffs three or four times and not ever winning anything, right? I'm not, I'm not sure I'll be happy being Oklahoma, who wins the Big 12 every year, gets to the playoff, but is really not really a contender, you know? Like and I know that's better than the alternative of not really being – a playoff contender, but I want to actually win the whole thing. I'm tired of hearing 1980. I'm just tired of it. I want to win the whole thing. That's what we need to be doing. We have everything it takes to do it, and we just got to get the job done. So to me, yeah, I, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but that's kind of where I am right now. Um, all right, number seven here. I think this is an easy question, but I'll ask you anyway. Uh, what SEC East team is Georgia's biggest threat this season? Um, it's Florida. I mean – if he had to be honest, according to every Wait, prognosticator in college Tennessee football, is not going to win the national title this year. That's what I say. According to every prognosticator, is Florida's conference to win. I, I thought I thought they were going to win it, man. But yeah, it's got to be Florida, right? Yeah, that's I mean, not, it, yeah, it, I think it is. Yeah, I, I, you look at it, Tennessee. I think it's going to be better, but that's relative. Better than than where they were, right? Had, had a team had to struggle to beat Indiana in the Gator Bowl last year. They won the game, but <laughs> had to come back late to win that game. I don't know if they're ready to take the next step. They're recruiting well. Or, well, kind of. I, I think that's 
well, well, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, it's kind of smoke and mirrors there where they're recruiting right now. But they, they, they're starting to get better players. I, you know, I'm not surprised by that. I told you guys Jeremy Pruitt was going to get players there. We'll see if he's able to actually get them to win at a high level. I, I don't know. We've seen this before at Tennessee with Butch Jones, so on and so forth. I do think Jeremy Pruitt is a better coach than Butch Jones. But Jeremy Pruitt is also a firecracker just waiting to explode. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I think this year – Maybe it's Tennessee in the future. I don't know, but I, I think that Florida right now this year is more equipped to give a, to be a threat to us than any other team in the East. Missouri's got a coaching change. They're not there yet. They're far away. Uh, uh, they're far away from where they were when they made two straight SEC title games. Kentucky's a good, solid program, but there's a ceiling. There's a cap on how good that they can be, in my opinion. Uh, Vanderbilt is God. They just they need to be relegated. They just need to be gone. Who else went in South Carolina? I. I don't know, man. Six and six, seven and five. They're, they're not. I, I don't see them as a big threat. I know they beat us last year. Whatever. I don't see them as, as a big threat this year, and really moving forward at all. Uh, all right. Next question. This is an interesting question. Very subjective here. Favorite player of all time, Kurt. Who are you going with? Um, I'll just throw out David Pollock. I mean, I think you got to respect him. The guy was not the most talented player in the world, um, but yet he was probably one of the more successful players to ever play at the University of Georgia. And I just like everything he stands for. I think he's a good family man. Um, he has good core values, and I think he's a good role model for uh, young people in general. McCurtis, David Pollock picks against us sometimes, man. I know, sure but I, 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 I respect him more than I do someone like Tim Tebow or Greg McElroy, who oh, has yeah. blinded um, loyalty. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, and Pollock is – God, Pollock – actually, I had two guys. I actually put Nick Chubb or David Pollock. So since you went Pollock, I'm going to go with Nick Chubb. And I know people are sitting there, like, screaming at your phones or radio, whatever your list, computer, however you're listening to us, and saying, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker. Yes, Herschel, I know. I mean, Herschel is the greatest, but – Yes, I'm not saying he's not the greatest player. He is. I just did not grow up watching Herschel Walker. Right? And this is, a, again, very subjective. If I, had, if I was 50 years old and I grew up watching Herschel Walker – as a as a young guy, absolutely would be Herschel Walker for me. I, I'm well, see, also we, we you know you and I grew up in Gwinnett, so when we were younger and watching Paul, if you kind of even paid that much yep. more attention, thinking you know he's a home hometown boy for us. Yep, I watched David Paul play in high school at Shiloh. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I, I love David Paul. I just love kind of the fact that he was never like the most physically, certainly not the most physically gifted guy, but just. Uh, the way he approached the game, the way he played, the motor, all of that. I just and and, and certainly the fact that he. Uh, was a big part of like our football resurgence at the beginning of the Mark Rick tenure. That's a big part of it as well. Some of the big moments he had uh, just, just an incredible player. But for me, I'm going to go Nick Chubb um, for a lot of the same reasons as David. Uh, I mean, Chubb was more physically talented than Pollock, of course, but he was a big part of our, our football our, our maybe our, uh, 21st well not 21st century but our second football resurgence of the 21st century with, with Kirby Smart where we're trying to take that next step right get to the national title game that whole deal and just the, you said that the guy who David Pollock is which I agree that he David Pollock's a great guy I'm gonna say the same thing about Nick Chubb I, I just don't know if you're gonna find a human that I respect more in the sports world than Nick Chubb I just I just don't know if there's a guy out there I don't know if I ever will I, I just I don't know uh, and, uh, there's guys that I love. I mean, I love all of our football players, but Nick Chubb holds a special place in my heart. Uh, just the, the work ethic, the humble nature, the humility, everything about this guy. How I mean, I just love how he's still, he's still good. He's, he's an NFL star. And what does he spend his offseason doing? He spends his offseason going back to Cedartown to work out with his high school, his former high school team, right? And the players and trying to mentor those guys. Who does that? 
Who? No one else does that. Nick Chubb is one of a kind. He, he is just an incredible, incredible dude, an incredible, incredible player. In my opinion, an all-time great at the University of Georgia. I, I, I truly believe that. I know he didn't win the Heisman Trophy and that kind of thing, but – Man, I just uh, I love me some Nick Chubb. So and I love Todd Gurley. Of all I know, and then everybody has their favorite guy, but for me, I'm gonna go with Nick for sure. Uh, next up here, got a couple more. All right, uh, we, we talked about this before, but it's a it's another good question. To, another good time to bring this one up. It's been a minute since we've talked about it. What non-conference team do you want to see Georgia schedule? It can be a future opponent. It can be someone we've uh, someone we have scheduled already, a past one, or someone that we have never faced. Like who is the non-conference team you want to see on our schedule? Huh. I would like to see UNC. I think Mac Brown's building them up and is someone that we have not played, I don't know, in a long time, I'd say. Um, Kirby, Kirby's first year, 16? Yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But especially yeah. in a home-and-home home or something like oh, that. Sure. Um, I would love to go you know, there. For Chapel home Hill home. has a very beautiful campus, um, and I, I just think it would be a good – like playing them this year instead of Virginia or something would be a heck of a lot get, better game to get you prepared for Alabama or someone than what we're getting. Yeah, don't get me started on this Virginia matchup. Oh, my God. Uh, I guess it's better than directional state U, but oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so you, you, I like, you brought North Carolina. It's a great campus. It'd be a great home and home. And that's the prism through which I view our non-conference games. I, I Of course, I like a big matchup, like going to Notre Dame. I, I played a big team like that. But I, I also look at it from, okay, what would be an awesome trip to take? Right, a place that we've never gone before that would be so much fun, a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Like, like going to Notre Dame was still one of the greatest weekends of my life, and it was just, just incredible. I mean, it was a once in a lifetime thing for me. I will never be able, I, mean, I don't imagine that I'll be able to ever go there and see Georgia play again and have that game come out the way it came out was just unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. So, that's kind of the prism through which I view, like, hey, who do I want to add to our schedule? Like, people, a lot of people actually uh, on this survey with, with Seth Emerson put Clemson. And I get Clemson's a great program right now. I have, and I know we got the scheduled for them a couple of times. I have no interest at all in ever going to see another game in Clemson, in Clemson, South Carolina. I know it's an old traditional rival. I get it, but going there sucks. It's a crap town. It's a nothing town. It's terrible. It's a terrible game day experience. I do not enjoy it whatsoever. Now going to play them in Charlotte in, to open the 2021 season, I'm cool with that. Because that's that's a that's that's a new thing for me. That, I, I think Charlotte's a fun town. It's a good place to go. It'd be a great trip. Awesome. Be fun. But going to Clemson, scheduling home and homes with them does nothing for me. Doesn't, and that's just me. That's me. I know a lot of people are excited about that. It's a big program, and I and I like the fact I'd rather just play a big program again than like North Directional State University. But Clemson, no, not for me. Um, I'm gonna go like Washington's up there for me. I really I'm pissed that we canceled the Oregon. So I think it was 2014 we were supposed to go there. I was, so excited about that. And of course we canceled that. Uh, I would love to go to Oregon and be fun. Um, but I, top two on my list are probably Ohio state or Michigan. Probably one of those two. I, I'm probably Ohio state over Michigan right now. I think, and I've never been to either town uh, for any reason, let alone a football game. I've heard that Michigan is a better college town than Columbus. So Ann Arbor is a better college town. So I would probably enjoy Ann Arbor more, but Ohio state is just a, a step up. I don't, right now in terms of the comp- the competitive level that, that that program is at. And I still think it'd be really fun to go to Columbus. So I'm probably going to go to Ohio State, go to the Horseshoe, have a fun time there. I'd love to go to the Big House. I'd also, like I mentioned, I'd love to go to Washington. I'd love to go to Wisconsin. Um, everything I've heard about, I've never been to Madison, Wisconsin. I've heard it's incredible. Love to go there. So like any of those Big Ten schools, like we just don't get a chance to really play those Big Ten schools very often. I would be all 
about that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, uh, again, totally subjective and people probably totally disagree with me, but that's kind of the direction I would go. Um, all right, another fun question here. Your feeling on Georgia's uniforms. All right, we've got three options here, Kurt. A, keep everything the way it is for every game. Don't change anything. B, keep everything except wear black jerseys once a year. Or C, it's time to consider more drastic changes. Um, I'm more with the B. I don't think I'm not a drastic change guy because I mean, you see what the Falcons did, and they look like an absolute joke. Oh, God. Um, I would That's like to see more terrible. black. Yeah, I would like to see more black jerseys. Um, but I would even. I mean, I'm up for switching it up with maybe a red pants. I'm not talking yes. about please. Like, I don't want to complete rechange of the uniforms, but some th- things we've done in the past, like a red pants, that's a, a realistic, especially like, I love our away uniform. I mean, I actually love the I think our away uniform is the best uniform in college football. I yeah, but the thing that bothers me the most is it's no longer that shiny silver. People can complain about that all the time, but it's hard to get yeah. that in the new Nike uniforms. Um, Nike so I, I still think like a red would look good, especially since it doesn't pop like it used to, the gray and things, but a gre- like a, the red would look good every now and then. I, I'm more of like, you know, just the alternate retro like that with the red pants or the black jersey every now and then um but with the black jersey i could see a all black uniform maybe once in a while but no, i'm not for a, a drastic change yeah i think it depends on how you define drastic like the way i read this okay I keep i'm not for like a complete re uh relaunch north carolina yeah. has the last yeah. like 10 years they've gone through like three different relaunches completely or you, you know some of these schools color. Yeah, exactly. Like you're seeing some of those schools that'll just go for like a whole completely different look. I don't want something like that. Like maybe, you yeah. know, like I said, like just different color, color combinations yep. is where I'm at. I, 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 I'm going to go with C, and I, I, but I don't think my changes are drastic. I, but, my, but I can't go with B because I don't want to keep everything except just change the black jerseys once a year. Because I'm with you. I want to wear red pants on the road one time a year. One time a year, Okay. One time a year, and there's a there's a historical precedent for us doing that. I want to wear red pants on the road. But yeah, I mean Kirby wore the red pants, so it's not like I think he wore the red pants. No, I, I don't think I don't think he ever. I don't think I think he, he wore, wore black the pants. He wore, he wore the black it. pants. I mean the the, the red pants were like an eighties thing. Herschel, like remember when he uh the, the, running over Bill Bates and when he, like his coming out party in Knoxville, he had red pants on, right? That's uh, right. So we haven't worn, worn red pants a lot, but there is a historical precedent for it, and I think they look freaking awesome. So once a year, because I, I, you're right, I, lo- I think our road, our regular road uniform is the best uniform possible. I love it. Our home uniforms, I think, are great, too. They're very classy. I just – I like our road uniforms better. I, I like our white jerseys. Um, and I will – at this point, I'm not even – like, let's, let's just stop even saying we have black jerseys. I'm tired. Like, I'm tired of seeing recruits take pictures, recruiting pictures in black jerseys. Because The only time we see black jerseys is G-Day right now. Exactly. We have not worn them since 2016. We have not worn them since 2016. It's it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd that we have not worn them. And I'm not trying to be. A, it's not like I know it's not the biggest deal in the world, but come on, like Jesus, like what what are we doing? Once a year, every every fan, I would say every fan, most Georgia fans that I come across like the black jerseys. It's I a mean, great once. It, it's and it's like you see teams that wear black jerseys, and it's not even their color. Miami wears black jerseys, and that's not even one of their colors. It's legitimately one of our university colors it's one of our primary colors and we just we won't wear them but in the recruits love them because they put them on when they come to try them on uh when they come uh, to, to campus for recruiting visits i just i don't get it i don't get kirby's hold up with it i just I, to me it has to go back to 2008 when when they when alabama killed us when we had the black that, that blackout against alabama yeah that well, it doesn't help now that you've got cochran who 
famously said yeah. we're wearing oh, yeah, our exactly. own funeral. Wearing their own funeral. Yeah. So I, I have no hope that we're ever gonna wear them again, but I think we should. Um, and here's what I would also say, and I don't think this is, I don't think this is a drastic change. I love our classic red helmets. If we were gonna wear the the black jerseys, I think we need to wear a matte black helmet. But that's what I said, a full black yeah. one time a like- matte black helmet. For sure, like like the red, the red, the black jerseys are awesome. But the in the red helmet with the black jerseys is fine. It's just I think a matte black helmet with the black jerseys would be incredible. Like yeah, that would I, like I would love jersey. to see like a full black with the bright red outline and everything. Yeah, I, I think that it be was great. looks similar to what Ohio State's worn before when they've gone full black and they wear the yes. bright red. Yeah, that, that that red stripe down the uh, middle of their helmet. Yeah, yeah. Again, like Ohio State, black's not one of their freaking colors, but they wear black. Like they wear a black jersey. What about once a year? Oh, they um, always they find a way to always wear red. Yeah, but we 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 can't do it. Like we just we can't find a way to do it. I just again, I know it's not the biggest issue in the world. It's not, but like I, it just makes no sense to me. It makes it's no a sense. doable thing that we could. Do. Yes, it's it's just stupid. And the one other change I would make, and this, I, don't, I don't think this is drastic. In fact, I think this is the opposite of drastic. Go back to the old school block numbers. The number yeah, font. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I hate. What I we can't were. stand it. I don't mind the the letter font. It's fine. It's fine. I'm cool. I'm cool with it. I do not like the number font. It's it's cartoonish. I just I can't. I I'm not down with it. I'm just not down with it. Just no, not for me. And I, maybe, maybe I'm in the minority there. Can't stand it. It just drives. Me. I just want to go back in time there. But in terms of like you're right. Like I don't. I guess I wouldn't say I don't think it's too drastic because I don't want like there to be like structural changes to our uniform other than like the color every now and then. That's that's all I want is just go back to old school font, change the color every now and then. And keep everything else the same. And we're good. We're good. All right. Uh, I guess one more question here. Now, this is an interesting one, Kurt. It's a realignment question. What would you like to see the SEC do from a scheduling standpoint? This is an open-ended question, Kurt. So what if you were the commissioner and you were in charge of, of making some sort of change to update the SEC schedule, to improve the SEC schedule, what do you do? Well, I took it as a different way. Kinda. Okay. Well, if I was to re- if I was to change the SEC, you know, like when we added Missouri and things, sure, I would add Clemson to the SEC and put them in the SEC East because okay, it yeah, wouldn't help them. Know that, yeah, it wouldn't so help would them you- at all. Recru- it wouldn't help them recruiting wise because they already are recruiting at a high level. It doesn't give them anything. But I think it bring bring them back down to earth and help the SEC with name name recognition. But at the same time, you have Clemson who struggles, finds a way to struggle one or two games every year against piss poor ACC competition. I would love to see them play week in, week out in a nine to 10 game uh, SEC schedule. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's very interesting. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. So if you add Clemson. Cause they, cause they gain nothing in recruiting because they're already recruiting the Southeastern well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're already, they, yeah. Like, and then that's an argument. Well, if, if you put them in the SEC, you know, and they're playing Georgia every year, then they're, they're, that's just going to give them an edge in recruiting in the state of Georgia. I'm like, dude, they already recruit Georgia well. No, but it could you. give us, a, it could give the South, the conference a chance to bring them down to earth and say, all right, you struggle when you play the SEC in general and the, the playoffs yeah. a lot of the times. Um, let's make you do this week in, week out. And those games where you squeak by a five and seven or six and six pit or something like that, NC State. Now you're yeah. going to play uh, top 25, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, people like that week in, week out. That's a very interesting way to look at that. I, I like that. Now let me ask you this. Would you – are you bringing Clemson in and kicking someone out of the east or are you bringing Clemson in and adding someone else to the west to make it even? Um, You could do that. And then, like I said, I'd go to a 10-game – we're at a nine-game conference. Oh, we're at an eight-game. 
we're at eight. I would then bump it up to nine game conference schedule. And you could try to bring someone in to the West. Um, you know, you have a lot of teams that are unhappy with the big 12 or um, different things like that. You could try to find mm-hmm. someone. Yeah. It's, 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 it's uh, and you can get really drastic with that. You, so you could get, you could bring in Clemson and then you bring in like, I don't know, you mentioned, I don't, I don't think North Carolina would ever leave because they're just a charter member of the ACC. Especially with basketball. Yeah. I don't think they're leaving the ACC, but like at Virginia Tech, Florida State, they, they, they're, Florida State. You'll get a team like that, and then like you – I don't want to see – I know the popular thing is to say put Missouri in the West. I get that. I don't want to see that because I love being able to travel to Columbia, to Columbia, Missouri every other year because I think it's the best trip in the SEC. Um, so that would suck. Just That's a selfish thing for me. I get why they would belong in the SEC West. I get that. Uh, I just would hate to – like I would and you, and a popular thing you hear is like, well, switch out Auburn and Missouri, right? Put Auburn in the East, Missouri in the West. And, and like geographically, I get that. But are you going to split up Alabama Auburn? Like, I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think the I don't think the the state of Alabama would allow that to happen. The, their their political structure I don't think they would allow that to happen. They would certainly have a say in that. And again, like I would much rather. I mean, I know we already go to um, Auburn every other year, which is just such. A, oh my god, I can't stand going there. It's just a terrible town. Just a nothing cow pad is just nothing. Um, but then who is our cross divisional rival? Is it, is it still Missouri? Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a weird, is it Alabama? Like, I don't know. That's, that's gotta be Tennessee's cross divisional. They have to redo the whole cross divisional rival stuff. I don't, I don't know how they would do that. Uh, sorry, certainly could be fixed. It's not insurmountable. It would just be interesting to see how they do that. All right. For me, here's what I would say. I didn't go so much with realignment like that, which is certainly a way to answer this question. Here's what I would do. I would want to see us go to a pod system. You, have you heard, have you ever looked into that curve? Do you know what, that, what I'm talking uh, about? I have not. Okay, so a pot, like my biggest frustration with the SEC schedule is that the non-cross-divisional rival teams from the West, we only play them twice every 12 years. So we only get to go to that location. Like, for, like for example, you and I went to Baton Rouge in 2018, right? Yeah. Well, the way it would work now is we would not go back for another 12 years after that date. It's like 2030. That's the way it works with our schedule, right, with, with an eight-game schedule. So the only way to fix that is either go to nine games, a nine-game SEC schedule, which apparently we don't seem like we want to do, and I understand why, because you know we're already the SEC is already we're so well respected, and we are our strength schedule is already so good. So why make it even tougher on ourselves? Make it harder for us to get in the playoffs? I get that, but from a fan's perspective, like I'm tired of seeing us play Western Kentucky level teams. I don't I don't need to see those teams. I want to see better competition. And I, and, I, and I get like why would you do that until everyone in America does that? I understand that. I, I get all that, but just from like hey a fan's perspective, I like to see more games like that. But so if we're not going to do a nine game schedule. I think the pod system is the best alternative. So what you would do basically is you would have fourteen pods, right? So Georgia, there be there would be three other teams that are in our pod that we would play every single year. So it'd be for us, uh, let's say uh, South Carolina, Auburn, and Florida. Okay, so we play those three teams every single year, and so those three teams plus us—that's four. That means there's ten teams left in the SEC. So we we would play five of the other teams every even year and the other five every odd year. So we're playing each team in the SEC once every two years, at least once every two years. To me, that is the best way to go about doing that. You would have to throw away the East and West divisions and go to a process and do that. But that way it allows you to play each team a lot more consistently, even the teams that are in the West right now, a lot more consistently and go to their campuses a lot more often than we do now, which is literally every 12 years which with the new system, once we realign to 14 teams, that's the change that I would like to see if we don't go to a nine game schedule. So either a nine game schedule or a pause system. And I'd be a very happy man, but uh, I don't see either one of those happening. Honestly, I, I don't, but Hey, 
If you're asking me what I want, that's what I would go with. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. And uh, again, I don't want to take credit for something that wasn't my idea. All these questions came from a fan survey that Seth Emerson put together over on The Athletic. For my money, as I said at the outset of the show, he really is without peer on the Georgia B. And, and if you want to check out the rest of the questions that we didn't cover on today's show, and uh, see all the results and read his analysis, I strongly encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic and just really get some top-shelf Georgia content. Uh, I do also want to give you guys a heads up. My wife and I are actually moving this weekend. Yes, it's it's weird, I know, but we are moving in the middle of a pandemic. Obviously, we are geniuses. Uh, so we're going to be doing that this weekend and probably into Monday as well. We're staying in Athens, just moving a couple of minutes away, actually, but uh, moving nonetheless. So There is a chance, depending on how quickly and smoothly things go, that I won't be able to record on Monday as Chris and I usually do during the offseason, at least as we have done throughout this pandemic. But uh, if we don't get a chance to do it on Monday, no worries at all. We'll uh, make sure to get to it on Tuesday and hopefully have some content for you guys by Tuesday night at the latest. That's the plan. So just want to communicate with you guys and didn't want anyone to get confused or freaked out, like wondering where our content was and why it's not up when it normally is. Just wanted to put that out there. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. We really appreciate that as well. And for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>